Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom and think. My name is Sam Dover. I'm a beauty and personal care category director at Mintel. And today we're going to be discussing the evolution of gaming. So engagement with gaming has increased significantly in recent years, especially during the pandemic. And in parallel with that, brands from a variety of different industries are starting to recognize the potential that lies in targeting gamers. So with that in mind, we'll be discussing current trends in gaming, the future outlook for the industry and any cross-category opportunities that are available. So today I'm joined by Brian Benway and Zach Emanuel to discuss all things gaming related. So can I get you both to briefly introduce yourselves before we get started? Uh, yeah, I'm Brian Benway. I'm the gaming and entertainment analyst for Mintel US. Yeah, and uh, I'm Zach Emanuel. I'm the consumer technology analyst, well, one of them um, for the UK uh, tech and media team. Amazing. Thank you both. So a lot of our listeners today will not be experts in the gaming world, even if they are themselves gamers. So I think it would be really good to set the scene to start off with and give some context to get us started. So how do you both think the gaming industry has performed in recent years? You know, what has changed in the last five years or so? Yeah, if you don't mind, Zach, I'll start off with this one. Um, Like you mentioned, um, the video game industry got a ton of growth in from the covid pandemic in 2020 and 2021 um there were some hopes that it would actually break 200 billion dollars in 2022 but it looks like the global gaming revenue is going to decline this year by about four percent ending somewhere around 184 billion um there are economic concerns, rising shipping costs, delays, production schedule delays at gaming studio, and of course, the reopening of society with giving everybody other things to do besides sit at home and play video games. However, while there is the declines, gamers are still out there spending money. I mean, the new Pokemon games just came out and in three days they sold 10 million copies, which that's blockbuster status right there. Um, yeah, I think actually with the uh, US reports, you combine the mobile gaming topics and the static consoles, don't you, I think? Uh, no, we separate them out, um, mostly just PC, console, and mobile, um, but we combine smartphone and tablets as as mobile. Okay, so um, yeah, so it's quite similar here. So uh, in terms of like the static consoles, in terms of like previous years, the way that the market usually works over here is that it would kind of go up and down based on the consoles that have come out um, because it's quite different from like a smartphone, for example, where you could keep it, um, where they're getting upgrades every single year, uh, whereas like with games consoles, they're much more like over a six, seven year period. You'll get like refreshes in between that time. Like, so for example, like the PlayStation Slim or like kind of upgraded versions of the Xbox, the actual new generation didn't come out till like six, seven years later. So what you get is that you get people holding on to their consoles until the next generation comes out. And that's where you get this up and down kind of effect. But with like 2020, because of the, because of the lockdown, we saw sort of a massive increase in gaming, even when the PS5 and the Xbox uh, series didn't come out until the November of that year. Um, and so 
we were sort of seeing the boost even before that point. Um, with mobile gaming, again, it was quite similar in terms of there was a, a continued increase um, and then that just got boosted even more so over the sort of like lockdown periods. But what's happened since then is that there's been a bit of a slowdown like with this year when it comes to mobile gaming. Um, so, and that's just, yeah, for, um, as you were saying, Brian, sort of the sort of um, removal of restrictions and people going out, sort of socializing more again, that's kind of put gaming a bit more on the uh, backseat for some of them. Interesting. So before we move on, I also spoke with Gloria in our um, China reporting team. So she writes some of our gaming reports there. So we're going to hear now from her and hear about some of the latest industry goings on in China. Last year in China market, there was one new regulation imposed setting limitations for teenagers. Teenagers can play only three hours each week. That had a lot of impact on the numbers of online game players. Well, this year, we actually observed an increased number of online game players. When compared with last year, impacted by the outbreak of COVID-19, some parents may start to let their children to have fun through playing. And regarding game-related consumption, considering the revenue of some gamers may be impacted due to the COVID-19, they could, sp- uh, they could spend less on games or game-related products. In terms of game companies, the outbreak of COVID-19 had an impact on their capital chain, so their budget for investing in developing new games is limited. Uh, it is quite hard for them to stimulate gamers' consumptions as there are few new games. In terms of the game-related advertising, I observed two trends that are emerging in China gaming market. Firstly, it is really interesting to see that many brands actually are developing their own games. Companies uh, such as BMW and Walmart created games in Metaverse or Metaverse platforms like Roblox. Another trend rising in China is the virtual influencer marketings. Um, this includes both AI-powered virtual humans and VTubers. What I think it is more related to gamers, well, is that gamers are more inclined to be attracted by virtual characters. Okay, many brands are creating their own virtual avatars as brand ambassador or making collaborations with VTuber groups when marketing. They do have some advantages in terms of lower risk or lower costs when compared with traditional celebrity endorsement. Well, there are also some discussions about the legal uncertainties. We don't know what will come in the future. Overall, it is quite a new trend now in China gaming market. So Gloria touched on it a little bit there, but I also want to get your thoughts on this topic too. So there has arguably been a spotlight placed on gaming within the social media industry. Also, I think there has at least. So for example, TikTok now apparently has a gaming channel, as does Netflix. And of course, all eyes are definitely on the metaverse, which is what Gloria mentioned. So what impact is this having on gaming? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the um, in terms of the metaverse point, uh, it's quite interesting because playing games was, I think, well, in our, our consumer data found that like playing games was the second most popular activity that people would be interested in using the metaverse for. Um, and in the sort of introductory video that Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg created for the metaverse, 
one of the ways he showed gaming was sort of in VR. And this is where it's quite questionable as to whether this would be more than kind of just like a concept because uh, VR in the industry, certainly over here, has like shown no signs of improving in terms of ownership. Like even I think our most recent data on it was from October and ownership's still only 7%, which is practically the same as what it was three, four years ago. And there's just, yeah, no indication that that's going to kind of increase uh, to take advantage of sort of gaming in the metaverse that way. I think what has more, I guess, potential out of the two of them would probably be AR. Um, and in the video as well, where he was explaining, he also talked about like holograms as well as a way of playing video games as an overlay on real life rather than using virtual reality. Um, so that potentially has more legs in terms of people don't have to actually use a, a VR headset. But again, that still seems quite far-fetched based on how we um, would use AR at the moment, which is kind of just tends to just be for a smartphone. You're sort of having to sort of think of with AR in terms of gaming or like holograms, it has to be with smart glasses. And again, that's still probably quite a good few years away. So before we move the conversation on, I'm just going to jump in here. When we say VR, we mean virtual reality. And when we say AR, we mean augmented reality. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, the VR thing, uh, from the metaverse, you know, initially VR got to where it is selling at a loss, you know, all of those Oculus Quest headsets that Meta has been selling up until now, they've been, losing money on all of them well they're they can't do that anymore so much uh so they've increased the prices on all of them their latest model i think is uh fifteen hundred dollars you know um and playstation of course they've got their own playstation vr they just announced the the playstation vr 2 and that's in addition to the five to six hundred dollar console that you've got to buy now you've got to buy a five hundred dollar vr headset too i just don't think right now in the current state of the economy is the time for the best time for vr uh i don't think consumer attachment is gonna increase during this current period um that said gamers do really like getting together and chatting about gaming and social media facilitates that really well um getting people to come to play on a platform and make content is just an easy way to attract a really large audience especially like your younger generations like gen z and gen alpha uh we did some research and like 70 percent of teens and tweens enjoy watching other people play video games when they can't play them themselves and that's looking at like kids down as young as 10 years old through 17 um and then 78 percent of them watch gaming content that other people have produced for about an hour a day so you know they're they're doing that daily watching this content um the popular sites that these teens and tweens like uh twitter and facebook lean a little bit more towards an older demographic some of our uh 55 and up mobile gamers play on uh like to use Twitter and Facebook to get their gaming news. Uh, for the younger gamers, though, it's really Twitch and surprisingly Tumblr. Um, I don't hear too much about Tumblr very often nowadays, but about 70% of younger gamers uh, use Tumblr actively. Mintel hasn't tracked it yet, uh, but anecdotally, I use Discord for almost everything in my gaming, and it's actually integrated into Xbox and PlayStation. So I think Discord is really going to be a place to watch in the future for social media. 
um, Sam, you mentioned Netflix as well. Um, I'd be interested to know what Brian thinks about this because I thought that um, with Netflix getting sort of like involved in gaming, adding gaming to their mobile app, I thought that was quite a, a left field turn um, because it's not really transitioning from uh, sort of like video streaming content to gaming. It's not like a sort of natural transition that you'd normally think of maybe from like audio to video or something like that. Like going from yeah, video to gaming is not exactly like a seamless kind of move, but they're really, they're really pushing it. They're really kind of um, investing a lot in it. I'm not totally sure it's maybe the best move because of because of that reason, like in terms of it not being an easy transition. I don't know, Ryan, I don't know what, what you sort of think about that. Yeah, so here's here's a rabbit hole that I can go down. Um, so Netflix and gaming. Um, what they so one thing that Netflix has has missed in their catalog so far has been like a live sports, live entertainment aspect, and that's something that they're currently chasing. They're trying to get some some live sports aspects, but they want it. They want something in their library that makes people come and spend time on their app and beyond just watching you know dvds and stuff because they're trying to diversify their catalog of what they've got and get into as many different uh little niche categories as possible so they've messed around you know i think it was the stranger things mobile game that they made originally and that was pretty good it was like a little legend of zelda like um but now that they've brought gaming into their own thing um you know, it's just one more reason for people to open up the Netflix app. It's it's a portal to all of these different mobile games that you can play. And yeah, they're they're even expanding. I think they just announced a that they're working on a triple A console and PC game. So um yeah, they're they're definitely taking it as as big and broad as they can. And I think they they kinda need to. You know, they the streaming wars have really been heating up and they've got to do something to differentiate themselves. And gaming is a, is a great way to do that. Uh, one thing that I think they could do is start doing coverage of live esports. that would cover their, it would kind of cover their lack of like live sporting events. It would give them something live that they could get viewers to tune into. Um, but it would also just be an easy fit with all of the gaming inspired entertainment content that they already have. So in other words, watch this space. <laughs> I think so, yeah. I'm I'm kind of excited. So I'm going to move the conversation on a little bit here. And one big topic that seems to come up time and time again when you talk about gaming is this idea of diversity and inclusion. So this is really coming to the fore in the industry at the minute. So what can you both tell me about that? Have you seen anything particularly interesting or exciting? So, um, so our data shows that there's well a strong amount of women that play video games right um but the proportion of women who play video games who then watch esports or game streams is quite low compared to male gamers um so only 18 percent of female gamers watch esports compared to 39 percent of male gamers and only 28 percent of female gamers watch game streams that's just like non-competitive gameplay um and that's compared to 49 percent of male gamers and the uh well one of the biggest sort of reasons for that is because um esports and kind of game streaming communities don't always create the best welcoming community for women like uh with sort of concerns about kind of sexism or online abuse that women get um that basically puts them off from uh, entering that kind of uh, community um and one of the ways kind of brands are looking to 
address that is that there was um, a partnership between Burberry and an esports company called Gen G. And what they did was they created like a four part video series where they had different people from the, from the two companies talking about, you know, how to improve diversity and some of the issues that women face when it comes to the esports and games from the industry, just to kind of um, raise awareness and generate the conversation. Um, and then also Burberry was donating to the Gen G Foundation Scholarship, which is like a scholarship that trains the next generation of gamers and also promotes sort of diversity and inclusion. Um, and I think this is absolutely vital because um, I actually think that sort of right now, female kind of esports gamers are probably more important than men because they can act as role models for the next generation of kind of women in that industry. Um, and if women can sort of find these role models to look up to, then I think that's really kind of key. So, um, so yeah, it's definitely an issue that can um, that needs to be addressed in order to sort of take advantage of how many women do play video games. Because it's not it's not just a case of like women don't play video games, so they're not going to be interested in esports. It's just about like making it a more welcoming community for them. Yeah, definitely. Um, the Entertainment Software Association here in the U.S. Uh, tracks player stats like gender. And uh, in the past, women, it's been pretty close to like a, a 60 40, uh, 45, uh, or a 55 45 split male to female. Um, but in 2022, it actually jumped up to uh, 52% video gamers are male 48 percent are are female so that that gender gap is is closing really rapidly um which i i think is great for the industry you know more games in the than in the past are allowing players to swap between like a male protagonist character and a and a female protagonist like assassin's creed has been doing that for the last couple of games several others as well um and there's even rumors that grand theft auto 6 is going to have the franchise's first female protagonist so that's definitely very cool um more games need to do that because women are, are definitely playing video games you know they're watching them too but they like zach was saying they watch different games they watch games where there's not a lot of toxicity and some of those big esports games like you know, your Call of Duty, your League of Legends, those are kind of notorious for, for their toxic player bases, and that really pushes women out of it. Um, our own studies have shown that, uh, you know, women kind of gravitate towards less, I wouldn't say combative, but they, they actually like to watch a lot of sports video game streams, like people playing FIFA and Madden. Um, things that aren't, they are competitive, but they're not quite so toxic um from a different side of diversity and inclusivity there's games like uh apex legends and overwatch uh popular right now they're doing a really great job with including multiple characters from different cultures uh that was something that you used to only get in in fighting games you know you'd have like your dalsim from india and your zangi from russia you'd only see that in in those those one-on-one -on -one fighting games but now you're starting to see that in in so many more and that's really encouraging for the future too um forza horizon 5 won the 2021 game award for innovations in accessibility i don't know if uh zach you saw anything about what forza horizon did but they had character customization options that would let you like have uh prosthetic limbs you know you could have multiple 
skin tones, uh, the list of things that they did for inclusivity was just huge. They had a huge list of things and it's a no brainer to give them that award. Uh, for the 2022 game award nominees, there's God of War Ragnarok, The Last of Us One and The Quarry. Um, and speaking of God of War Ragnarok, you know, they've had a little bit of controversy with their, uh, the internet calls him Fat Thor. Um, they, they have a character, Thor from Norse mythology and everybody wanted him to be a uh, big buff and strong, like the Marvel superhero. Well, they made him kind of fat, which is a little bit more uh, historically accurate, I suppose. And there was some backlash to it, but they stuck to their guns and uh, you know, that's great for, for body positivity. You know, animal crossing has also been a really big game for, for body positivity, doing a lot of different uh, skins and things that players could wear. I think Mintel actually had a trend driver, uh, or not a trend driver, but a trend observation with Animal Crossing and Gillette partnering for for body positivity. Yeah, just the last uh, point on sort of like the women's side of it as well is that I mentioned in the esports report this idea of um, sort of running exhibition matches uh, when it comes to like esports. Um, so kind of going back to what um, Brian was saying about the toxicity, um, I feel like the kind of this kind of ferocious play to win mentality is again something that creates a community that again isn't always welcoming for uh, women so then um this idea of exhibition matches where it's not necessarily about like you have to do everything to win or like it's about winning prize money etc it's just a way of just showcasing the best female gamers and again i feel like that's that could be a way of kind of creating a more welcoming community for them so we've talked a little bit there about diversity inclusion and the role of that in gaming and the more important role it's going to play in future but before we move on we're going to now hear from Anna who's based in the US and works on our beauty and personal care team and also Joey who is a trends analyst for Mintel based in Malaysia to hear their thoughts on this topic. I've actually come into the gaming space um, based on a lot of my own personal experience. I was someone who didn't really necessarily grow up playing video games. They were around me, but it wasn't something that my parents um, really supported in the 90s. Um, but as an adult, I've become a lot more aware of the benefits of gaming and how it can really help to make my life a little bit better. Um, I personally have been playing Animal Crossing, Fall Guys, just a lot of really fun, de-stressing games and have seen a lot of value in that. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for brands to really tap into women who may not necessarily be um, have a lot of gaming in their past, but they're ready to do it moving forward. But it was interesting to find out that 72% of women in the U.S. have played a video game in the last three months, um, generally on their phone. But only 64% of women play video games to find stress relief, and men are generally a little less interested in this benefit, but they still see the value of it. Mattel has reported on a lot of the gender gap issues um, that exist in both esports and streaming, and brands can do more to combat the sexist or radicalized behavior that can appear in online gaming communities. I think there's a lot of opportunity to reduce barriers to help women and girls feel welcome, to learn and to relax, and to actually have fun and get those benefits that they're seeking from such a fun device. 
there's quite a lot to say about diversity and inclusivity in the gaming industry, but I keep it to the point that I feel is most important. What's most important for brands or anybody listening to know is that Southeast Asian gamers in particular are extremely diverse. According to the latest wave of consumer data, 90% of Indonesian consumers who personally own a smartphone say they have played games on it in the last three months to August 2022. And diving deeper into these demographics is that Indonesian consumers from of all ages and gender who personally own a smartphone play games on it. That's everyone. And in my opinion, this means there's an opportunity to speak to all kinds of consumers through gaming. It is vital to understand their differences in terms of their worldview, the types of games they enjoy playing, and the occasions that they play as well as why they play games. Hence, we need to understand the need for gaming culture to, to not only be diverse and inclusive, but to be a stage to celebrate their diversity as well. When considering how the cost of living crisis will impact gaming or be impacted by gaming, it's, I feel important to set a little bit of the context. From one of our recent high consumer lifestyle reports, um, attitudes towards gaming and esports, 76% of high consumers say they have spent on average at least one hour per day playing games in the last three months. And this isn't just video games, but also um, board games or tabletop games. Um, 66% of them say they play games to relieve their stress. And 72% of the consumers surveyed agreed with the statement that playing games is an important way for people to connect with one another. So we have these three stats right now. And then we will, we will pair this with some of our thoughts on the cost of living crisis that many consumers around the world are currently experiencing. Firstly, this cost of living crisis is most commonly um, marked by an increase in energy and food costs. So what this might mean is that lower priorities like leisure, pleasure, and entertainment are, for many consumers, forced to take a backseat. Gaming, however, is a relatively affordable pastime. And it's a pastime that allows consumers to stay connected, to stay competitive, to stay sane, and to discover commu new communities of people who share the same interests. All in all, what I believe the role of game will have amidst this ongoing cost of living crisis is that it will help consumers and players improve their quality of life during this challenging time. So something that came up there, both in what Anna said and what Joey said, is the stress relief that gaming can provide and that this will only gain importance during the cost of living crisis and as inflation rises. So do you both agree? And if so, how else do you think gaming will be impacted? Um, so in terms of how the uh, cost of living crisis is going to affect gaming is that I think people are going to see gaming as a way of socializing at home with friends and family more. Um, so uh, the stat that we've got is that 65% of um, gamers agree, will say that gaming at home with friends and family is a more cost-effective way of socializing than going out. Um, so I think you're going to start seeing an, an emerging segment of consumers that are, that are doing this with the gaming at home with friends and family. Um, and what that actually means is that there's been 
So some talk that Microsoft and Sony are going to add adverts to free-to-play games um, like Fortnite or Counter-Strike Go. And there's the opportunity then for brands to kind of target this emerging segment of consumers that are gaming at home more often with like others. Um, so an example of like a brand that that would be useful for would be like a food delivery service because you can obviously then deliver them uh, food or drinks as they're playing at home. Um, so... Yeah, I think you're going to sort of start seeing more of that um, in terms of gaming at home as a way of to having a cheap way of socializing. Yeah, definitely. Um, speaking to the video games as a way to to de-stress, uh, in our women in gaming report that just published here, I found that uh, 64% of women play video games specifically for stress relief outside of you know their their desire for entertainment or or achievements or things like that. It's what they what they want to get out of it from like a a positive uh emotional enrichment activity is is the stress relief the the ability to just sit down play a video game and let their cares kind of kind of wash away and you know the the video games that are really really great for that are things like you know tetris and pac-man you know uh just simple repetitive games that you can kind of get into the zone with um they call it a, a flow state in psychology where you just get into the the zone and lose track of time and one really popular game that's been popular for a while uh for that has been candy crush too um they also touch on it a little bit in their advertising that you can get into kind of the zone and they have time melting levels where uh you can just lose track of what's going on playing candy crush you don't really see that being advertised too much but it it definitely is something that women gamers are are looking for and i think more games that that advertise that might attract more women gamers I can definitely second that point. Um, from personal experience, I actually suffer really badly with anxiety when I'm in small spaces, confined spaces. So I always play Tetris when I'm on the underground and it's really busy to essentially just distract me from where I have to be at that moment in time. So I can definitely, from personal experience, say that that is definitely helps me relax a little bit and feel a little bit less stressed. <laughs> I've heard of people uh, using Tetris to quit smoking, actually. Anytime <laughs> they get a uh, they get an urge to have a cigarette, they, they pull out Tetris and they just play Tetris until they stop feeling like they need to smoke and that's how they quit. So, you know, gaming has a wide variety of applications in life. Well, we actually had um, a stat last year that's, that kind of uh, covered exactly that. So, like, we had it um, well, we asked about like the biggest motivation to play video games. Uh, this is in May of last year. And to escape from real life was the third kind of most selected one. And that was like 34% 30, 30, yeah. of sort of static console gamers. Uh, so, yeah, definitely um, they use it for those reasons. Definitely believe that. So I'm going to move the conversation on a little bit now because I want to talk about some of the cross-category opportunities that lie in gaming. But before we get into that, I want to first and foremost do a little bit of scene setting um, for those of our listeners who aren't experts in this industry. So a sponsorship and in-game advertising are two of the primary opportunities to tap into the gaming community. Can you or can one of you explain the difference between the two and maybe how brands can tap into these def different methods of communicating with gamers? Yeah, sure. So like a sponsorship would be like Coke 
Coca-Cola giving money to an esports league uh, to be the official soft drink sponsor of that league. Um, or maybe a, they would get a brought to you by play of the game recap during a tournament. Um, you might also see some sponsored items or levels or other other various downloadable content appear in the game, like a customizable outfit uh, that includes like you know, a brand logo or something on it that's usually given away free to players as like just a free DLC that you can get because it's paid for by the sponsorship. Um, Universal Studios Japan does this a lot in Japanese games. They're the one that comes to mind immediately for me. They've, especially with Capcom games like Resident Evil and stuff and Monster Hunter. Um, so that's kind of how sponsorships generally operate you know it's you're you're giving money to the developer to make that game better not necessarily to you know show off your your content but it's more like brand awareness brand building for your brand to be associated with that game or that esports event and then your in-game advertising that's typically like a very short traditional TV commercial that would be shown to players in between levels or in exchange for another type of in-game reward. It might also be like a banner ad that's shown at the top or the bottom of the of the screen while players are playing. Um, and these are only in, like Zach touched on this a little bit, typically only in free-to-play mobile games. Um, the general consensus is that if, if players are paying for a gaming experience, they shouldn't have to watch ads. Um, because gamers are paying money to have the game made so why why would the developer need to force them to watch advertising to make more money if they've already paid the developer to make the game um so that's really kind of how i see those two separated out zach do you have anything um yeah no that's that seems fair um yeah i would use your associate sponsorships with like kind of merchandise whereas like yeah advertising is more kind of maybe during the actual, like, if it's like eSports, then during the actual stream or, um, yeah, so sort of like banner ads and stuff. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, for sure. So following on from that, I mean, you've touched on it a little bit there in terms of how consumers feel about um, probably in-game advertising more so than sponsorship. But so how do consumers feel about these things and do consumers want either sponsorship and or in-game advertising? What kind of things do they want to see there? With the um, esports audience, what we noticed compared to um, last year was that we, we noticed um, there's been a little bit of a drop in terms of watching esports or game streams. And the reason, again, for that, as we discussed earlier, is obviously because of the removal of kind of social restrictions and everything. But what that what that means is that what you have now is the audience of people that are really engaged in this stuff. So what that means is they're more likely to be buying merchandise and to engage in sponsorships and what the audience maybe were last year. And so, yeah, we've got a couple of like figures, like um, 59% of esports viewers engage with sponsored posts from video game streamers. So what that means is like a, bit, a video game streamer is partnered with a company to promote a product and then they promote it on social media. And so that, and that's nearly six in 10 esports viewers have then engaged with that, whether that's just clicking or sharing which is actually quite a high number. So what that means is like social media giveaways um, can be a really powerful tool. So, what that, so an example would be if a video game streamer had like a piece of merchandise, could be like a t-shirt or gaming equipment. And they said, oh, if you um, share this post with like 10 of your friends, then you have a chance of winning this. 
And in that way, you get both the esports player's name out there and the brand's name out there to as many people as possible. And then obviously in return, you just give a piece of merchandise away to one of the fans. Um, and so, and also 53% of esports viewers have purchased gaming equipment using tournaments. Um, so again, like with the esports players using, you know, keyboards or even energy drinks, these are all things that can really um, engage viewers and, uh, and persuade them to buy them. Partly because they're um, fans, partly because they see that as like a key element of that performance. So like if they see that they had a, a monster energy drink or whether it was like Red Bull or whoever, they can see, oh, so that game has used that drink and they've performed like that. I want to replicate that. And so they end up, you know, buying it the same way. Yeah, I think generally speaking, um, gamers accept both sponsorships and in-game advertising. Um, you know, they most people know that gaming is is a business, and and these game developers, you know, they've they've got to make money somehow. So if you're not going to ask them to, if you're not going to ask players to pay for a game, then you know they're fine with with in-game advertising coming in and being exposed to that. They they generally don't dislike it um 40 percent uh, or 41 percent of gamers want more sponsorships from the entertainment industry and 37 percent want more from the food and beverage industry uh we asked them you know what kind of things people would like to see more of in video games and even like the automotive industry and the financial industry you know people were like yeah i'd be fine seeing an ad for that so their gamers are really accepting of advertising advertising as long as it's done in a way that's you know respectful of their their time their money uh and not just making advertising be a be a burden um that said men are generally more receptive to advertising and gaming than than women um women mostly seem to find that it's it's like a mild nuisance i would say um we asked them how they felt about seeing different ads on mobile games and other games that they've played and to like s select a word that that would best describe it um and 41 percent of them of women said that they found gaming ads to be distracting so that's a lot better than things that they could have said you know um like over sexualized or or insulting or getting really negative with it uh it was just distracting um so gaming has had some risky and cheeky advertising in the past um young women gamers are the least likely to tolerate that um 31 of 18 to 34 year old women gamers have quit playing a video game because of the excessive advertising that they've had so that's definitely something that brands need to keep to be aware of and and be mindful of is that if you're going to try to do in-game advertising don't be don't be too distracting or too obnoxious with it that's really what um, Microsoft and Sony are really trying to focus on. That's what the rumor is, apparently, that they really want it to be as um, unintrusive as possible. Um, and so what that would look like would be like in, in a racing game, for example, it would be like a banner ad, or it would be like an ad on a billboard within the game. So it's trying to be as subtle as possible whilst still adding more in there. Yeah, like um, when you're playing Grand Theft Auto, you know they've they've got all these fake brands yeah. littered throughout the world. Um, like I think their their chicken place uh, 
chokey chicken, a guy choking on a chicken leg. Um, but you could replace that fake brand with, with KFC. And I don't know if gamers would really care that much. I mean, maybe Grand Theft Auto would lose out on a few jokes that they wouldn't be able to do at KFC's expense that they could do to their own made-up brand. Um, so some of the humor aspect of the game would would go away but when you're driving around the city and you see a billboard uh for something in gta i don't think gamers are going to be too bent out of shape if it's you know mcburger or if it's mcdonald's um and as, as we're still as we're talking about fast food brands um in terms of sponsorships there was recently um mcdonald's recently created a gaming chair um and they gave it to a couple of kind of youtube influencers and they called it the crispy ultimate gaming chair and it's got like different compartments for your mcdonald's food and everything um but it shows that um in terms of like like in terms of like brands it shows that like you don't have to have any association with gaming to sort of like partner and then kind of with either a youtube influencer to, to promote gaming or partner with an esports brand um so it's not just restricted to sort of gaming brands it can be you know, a burger and food place. Yeah, I that reminds me of the the KFC uh, chicken warming chamber thing that they did. I can't remember. This was a few years back, but KFC did some kind of gaming gadget brand that you hook up to your to your computer and it keeps your chicken warm for you while you're gaming. <laughs> and yeah, you know, some of those out the wall things. Uh, it may seem weird, but it's funny and the internet will eat it up and gamers will probably enjoy it because <laughs> gamers are on the internet laughing at weird stuff too. So we've obviously talked a little bit there and I feel like we've talked a little bit about both virtual and kind of physical product placements. So I guess there's opportunities that lie in both. Yeah, definitely. We actually did a gaming uh, merchandise report in 2022 here uh, and we found that of all the things that gamers were the most interested in purchasing, uh, the boys and men's apparel gaming merch was the most likely to be purchased in the last 12 months. Uh, it was also 54% uh, more likely to be given as a gift item. So with the holidays coming up, parents are looking for gaming-inspired merchandise to, to shop for. Boys and Men's Tees are probably going to be the most popular product there. Um, from the food and beverage brand, gamers actually really just enjoy the, the easy, convenient food. Um, you know, Doritos and Mountain Dew jokes have been running rampant in gaming for years, uh, but it's true. You know, gamers just want something quick and easy that they can grab and have a snack while they're gaming without having to think about, you know, a boxed meal or, or a canned food item. It's 30% prefer chips, nuts, and snacks, 29% preferred soft drinks and candy and cookies. Uh, energy drinks were, were on the list, but and kind of stereotypically too. Um, but only 19% wanted more brand promotions with energy drinks. So uh, it, it really is that Doritos and Mountain Dew aspect that that gamers gravitate towards. Um, the Japanese gaming industry does a ton of stuff with 
uh, gaming food and beverage promotions and you know they do pop-up cafes where you can go get a gaming inspired bowl of ramen and they include all kinds of art and stuff like that japan does a lot of really cool food and beverage stuff that i think the u.s and uk industries could definitely look into and take uh take a lot of inspiration from so i'm going to sneak one last question in before we finish with you both today so if you had one thing you wanted listeners to take away from this episode today what would it be um yeah i think it's um, so important to sort of um get the diversity uh, improved in sort of particularly with watching game streams and esports content um because like we've discussed before a strong amount of women uh, do game regularly um and so the opportunity is there if we can provide a welcoming community for them and so yeah anything brands can do to sort of promote women in gaming um whether that's you know sort of helping with funding towards training of the next generation of players or um, sort of getting women to be more role models, like well, partnering with sort of like influencers that are women that sort of play video games to be role models for the next generation um, or the exhibition matches, just anything to kind of create a more welcoming community for them. Yeah, piggybacking off of that, um, I think the gaming industry has largely woken up to the fact that it's not just teenage boys playing video games anymore um unfortunately when you do get so many diverse groups of people playing the same game you know that's when the toxicity starts to starts to seep in and it's it's definitely something that the industry does need to address and work on um 53 percent of young women gamers worry about opening themselves up to harassment discrimination and gatekeeping when they play online games and you know that's not a sentiment that's shared with male gamers you know that's that's a uniquely female problem in gaming that that really does need to be addressed um but that said you know gaming has come a long way from its early roots you know in the in the 70s and 80s and it is starting to get a little bit more um open to different groups of people playing games and that's that's definitely a great thing and brands can definitely play a part in that with their advertising and the commercials that they put out and the way that they portray themselves uh approaching gaming you know by making gaming advertisements a more diverse and inclusive space that will have a carry-on effect and should help make gaming more diverse and inclusive uh, as a result. I mean, even, even like just sponsoring women's only tournaments um, or like, uh, yeah, sort of like, and, and using that as a way, as, as a way of promoting them. Um, yeah, so. Amazing. Thank you both. Um, we've covered so much in this conversation. So before we finish, I'm going to briefly recap on the conversation and highlight some of the key takeaways for our listeners. So... Although there will be an inevitable post-pandemic dip, the gaming industry is still thriving. There's still a lot of highly engaged people out there gaming and its ability to provide some light relief um, and a sense of community will see it continue to thrive moving forward. On top of that, we've already touched on it a little bit there, but gamers are increasingly diverse, but there there remain so many opportunities to improve inclusivity in the industry. So that covers everything from representation and from visuals within gaming but also right through to creating those safe spaces and a more welcoming community for a wider group of individuals and finally there is a huge amount of opportunities that lie within in-game 
advertising and sponsorship but the key here is to really think about who those gamers are again and think about you know what they want to see and think about the different types of opportunities within that from a huge range of brands can definitely explore that space. So thank you everybody for listening. The conversation doesn't end here. Please head over to Mintel's LinkedIn and Instagram and let us know what you thought of today's episode. We'd love to hear your thoughts on gaming and what brands can do to tap into the gaming industry. And if you want to know more about Mintel, who we are and what we do, please head over to Mintel.com, check out our blog for even more insights from our analysts and sign up to become a member of the free Mintel Spotlight community. And finally, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Goodbye for now and we'll catch you next time for a new episode of Little Conversation. Little Conversation.